curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. Today's guest, Patrick Black, is fellow Promo Kitchen chef and owner of Perfect Imprints. Patrick graduated from Mississippi State University in 2008 with a bachelor's degree in biological sciences. While headed to medical school, he decided against becoming a doctor in order to have more time for his family. He became a paramedic instead and worked for 10 years before starting Perfect Imprints as an internet-based business back in 1998. His dad worked in the industry for over 10 years, which gave Patrick the idea to start this company. And at the time, use of the internet was still a new concept. Boy, is that an understatement. As time evolved, he has built Perfect Imprints into a major e-commerce site for purchase of promotional products, custom t-shirts, business printing, and logo and graphic design. He maintains a work environment of a casual and relaxed family environment while stressing high standards of quality and customer service, hires not only qualified personnel, so the quality of the service is unrivaled. He kicks all the competitors in the backside. When not geeking out over the newest and greatest promo items, you can find him paddleboarding at the beach or hanging out by the pool with his wife and three kids and his basset hound in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. That sounds like a terrible time. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you, Roger. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having it, coming in, man. And uh, you have the dubious distinction of following none other than our industry grand poobah, Paul Bellantone, on the So You're In Sales podcast series. So we'll do our level best to try to keep up the high level of uh, quality recording that we get from Mr. Bellantone. But I know that you have lots to share with our listeners when it comes to e-commerce. So thanks for coming in, man. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. So... Uh, hey, you know, like we're kind of here at the end of 2018 and, you know, as is typically the case when you have the opportunity, you take a chance to kind of look backwards on what's happened in the 12 months leading up to it. And I don't think there's any dispute about what I would classify as a tidal wave of venture capital money that came into the marketplace this year. There's been a lot of talk about the consequences and the outcomes attached to that money. Uh, 
in the discussion with Paul, we spent a really healthy section of the dis- discussion on more like our predictions of what we thought would what, what would happen with all of that money coming into the space. And we came to a, a re- reasonably quick agreement that we thought the most profitable outcome would be a shift in technology in the marketplace. So you know, I figured given your extensive background, given the fact that it feels like you started when the internet started, Patrick, I thought you would make a natural fit for this discussion. So are you cool with that being the context of the discussion? I think it's a great uh, topic of discussion and I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, well, I think when it comes down to experience, there's not a whole lot of folks that have the uh, the length of time from uh, an e-commerce perspective that you would have. So I'm excited to to tap into your knowledge there. So, but before before we get into that, I guess let's let's frame the conversation. I mean, because nothing for nothing, if you think about it, right? Like the idea of being in the medical field versus being a, a purveyor of prom- promotional marketing materials. I mean, there's not a, there's not a straight line. When it comes from one to the other, and I know you know, obviously you had some family background in the business, but so there you are. It's 1998. You've put all of this money and time and education into your efforts around the medical field, and you do what? What happened? Well, I'm working full time as a paramedic. Uh, have been for about eight years or so, and and I love it. it it's I, to this day, I still miss the the adrenaline rush and uh, you know the patient care. Um. But at that time, I was working 72-hour shifts, had twin baby girls. They were, you know, a little over a year old, uh, coming up on two years old at that point. And then it, um, and I'll have to just, let me go back just a little bit, because 1998 was not necessarily when I jumped in Uh full-time. Full-time was a little bit later in the, around 2004. But 1998, that's the time frame where I started this on the side. I just needed a little play money, right? Right. Yeah, just some fun money. Um, so I did that for a while. It grew and grew and grew. And just got to a point that I had to do something with it. And there was one day that I was coming home from shift after a 72-hour shift. And I get home and my wife tells me the story that one of my daughters uh, – what she said. And my wife said, Hey, daddy's coming home today. And one of my girls said, who's daddy? Oh boy. And you know, so I it was like, okay, that'll do it. Yep. Uh, pulling at the heartstrings. Oh my gosh. Right? I felt like I got hit in the chest with a baseball bat. And so I, I came to make that decision. And while it was an easy decision to make, it was hard to leave what I loved doing for something that was just so up in the air. Could I make right. it work? You know, was it going to support my family? But I didn't feel like I had a choice. I had to do it. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't going to be, you know, an absent that parent. Dad. Sure. That's right. So I jumped into it full time and just within a month, business had tripled. And, you know, no one runs your business like you do. Cause I had had somebody running it for me that I was hired, had on a part-time basis and, um, she was doing a good job, but she wasn't me. She wasn't doing your job. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. That's right. that's right. That's right. So, uh, since then I've been going strong full time. It's been e-commerce since the very beginning. And so, you know, the sad thing to think about is, so I got into this game about the same time 4imprint did. And right. 
I'm nowhere near that level. <laughs> I mean, not, not even in the same galaxy. So you think about it in that way. I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing for 20 years? <laughs> uh, but I, I've never, yeah, never had any venture capital money or anything sure. like that. So I, I started with with less than 50 bucks. And I think I read somewhere you didn't spend it all. No, I did not spend it all. No, <laughs> no, great. I actually had a budget of about a hundred bucks. Uh huh. And back then, in in ninety eight, ninety nine, there were options all over the place for free web hosting. Uh-huh. So you could build your site. Now there were ads or whatever on it to support that, but that's what I did with my first website. It was a freebie hosting site, and I would just take supplier pictures and put pricing up there and. You know, I started getting calls from all over the country. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it, it was fun. So, Patrick, I, I want to make sure before we really kind of dive into some of the specifics of e-com. So even at 2004, or no, I mean, you said it was from the beginning. So, I mean, 1998, I mean, geez, how, do you, how did you... It's one thing to say, all right, you know what, I'm going full time. Great. I get it. That makes perfect sense. But to say, yeah, and I'm going to do it all e-com too. Like, what... What was the impetus around making that choice? Well, a little bit of uh, backstory. My dad and my stepmom, they were in this business before that, and they sold caps and T-shirts. That was their their main product that they sold. And then occasionally it would be other promotional items like koozies and you know just some of the the staples that are that have been around forever. So they, he was always trying to get me into that. And he, he was a face-to-face guy. He's always been a salesman all his life. You know, he's worked as drug, drug reps for a lot of pharmaceutical companies. So sales came natural to him. Uh-huh. And so he kept trying to get me into it. And I was like, no, dad, I, <laughs> I'm not a face-to-face sales kind of guy. Right. And so I just, I, I don't know why I came to this conclusion, but internet was new-ish. You know, it had been around probably what, five years or so, but very few e-commerce sites. So, oh my God, it was still dial-up. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I probably was on AOL at the time. Um, have so many, to, for sure. Right. So I was thinking, all right, what's the easiest way I can start making sales and not have to face people? Be in front and talk- of people. <laughs> yes. Right. So I said, well, let me just let me just try it because worst case scenario, I'm out a hundred bucks, right? Right. Well, Turned out I was only out about 10 bucks because that's what the <laughs> domain name cost for right. me to buy. And uh, my dad was like, oh, that's never going to work. You got to have face-to-face. And I'm like, challenge accepted. Challenge accepted, right? That's great. Right. Uh, well, so that, so that really is a great segue to the next cost, uh, question because that, that's, that, therein lies the sort of the crux, of the crux of the challenge to me because promo is such a people centric business, right? I mean, we talk about our, our hug hello ratio in the promo industry is off the charts. Like we are so we are so friendly and person to person. So knowing that that really wasn't what you were trying to get after, like how, how did you arrange yourself so that people could find you? Uh, well, as far as finding my site, yeah. back then in the early days, if you had a website, it could be found easily. You, you uh, didn't have a lot of competition. It just wasn't that many, sure. No, not at all. And uh, it was really easy to game Google back then. Uh-huh. <laughs> so ranking high was not a problem, especially if there's only 10 other promotional products distributors online at the time. 
Yeah. So it was really, really easy. And to this day, you know, fast forward in almost 20 years or, or 20 years, it's about longevity. So my domain is 20 years old now. Yeah. And it has that reputation with Google that it's right. it's trustworthy and it's been around and that's why it ranks pretty high. So, you know, since 98 all the way to 2018, there's been a big shift in, in how you rank high and how to stay at the top. So there's been a lot of evolution there. Yeah, I mean, let let let's. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. I mean, when you get so when you get in this race as early as you did, in a lot of ways, like it's like you're you're running a foot race, but you're running it from the front. But what what you realize is happening is the race is getting bigger, and there's more people competing, and you have to keep running as fast or faster than anybody else who's joined the race. So in order for you, to, uh, in, on top of obviously your SEO, because of your experience, right? Kings are certainly going to help, but what other stuff have you found yourself doing over time to help stay at the front of that foot race as best as you can? Well, you have to understand a little bit about what it takes for the, the SEO and the important at, you know aspects of that. Um, one being content marketing, you need great content. Mm-hmm. You need inbound links coming from reputable websites. And if you develop good content, you're going to get links that, that just follows. Um, and then the other thing that you need that a lot of people don't know is that you need actual traffic from people coming to your site. So Google kind of puts that into perspective. And if your website isn't getting much traction, you know, much traffic at all, then they're not going to rank it very high. So that's where repeat customers are gold, you know, not only because of the revenue, but when you're talking about e-commerce, you want those frequent visits to your site because then Google sees your site as an authority. Yeah, that makes sense. I get it. Yeah, no doubt. So you, the more you can have people come back, the, the better you're going to look. So give me, give me from an, from the link perspective, give me an example of like a real live, like, Somewhere somebody said to you, hey, Patrick, I like your content. Can I start link like hosting what you're producing on my site? Is that is that what you're saying there? Is that how that works? No, no. I Maybe in 20 years, I've had two people ask me if they yeah. can, you know, post that on repost that on their blog. So I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is other people writing their blog or content or or maybe even sharing out on their site that, hey, I got these great items from here and they link. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Or they're talking about a specific topic and, you know, for more information, read here and they just link back to my blog. Perfect. Got it. So you need your stuff to get to a place where people see you as credible enough to recommend the content that you're creating and actually directly link to it so that people will follow that link directly to where you're at. I get it. Makes perfect sense to me. But without the content, you don't have the opportunity for that to occur. So that's correct. You know, without uh, taking the time to invest in creating content, much like this podcast, you know, the ob- objective here is to be able to produce uh, information that people will find interesting and hopefully somewhat entertaining. But over time, I mean, nothing for nothing, Patrick, I'm going to have about 5,000 listens to this series this year. And that's 5,000 times that people have the opportunity to do exactly what you described. Hey, this was interesting. Why don't you go give it a listen? So, but if I don't 
do the podcast and that opportunity doesn't present itself. So, so let's talk about like, where a distributor, you know, your average distributor today. Like, I, I don't, I don't think it's fair to suggest that distributors, distributors out there with no web presence. I would be really, really surprised if that's the case. So, there's, you know, from I have a website, I'm on social media to a certain degree with not necessarily a consistent posting or, or you know, even a schedule of knowing how I want to do that. May even be managing a program for a customer using the internet to facilitate transactions in some way. But man, we both know that like there's so much growth needed in our space on the distributor side to get where e-com makes for a level playing field, especially with things like security and compliance. So in your mind, like knowing that that's most likely the path, do, do you see like a migration path? Like if you were leading someone on a tech journey to say like, all right, if that's where you're at, here's the things that you should be thinking about. Yeah, technology is is a must. Uh, us small guys cannot do it on our on our own because we don't have hundreds of millions to invest and build our own platforms right. and our own security, you know, and all that. So, you know, third party technology it's it's just part of the the business that we have to uh, do, and it's just part of the expense. But in, in most cases, I, I don't see them as expenses. I see them as investments mm-hmm. because. For most of the technology that I use, I do see a return on those investments. But, um, you know, for the average distributor who does not have a real e-com type of uh, website, and that's not their primary goal, it's really a hard pill to swallow when you start looking at the cost and adding those up for all of the third-party technology. So yeah. um, that—that's where a lot of people it just stops them in their tracks and they don't go any further. Mm-hmm. No doubt. And it's, it's to your point, it's almost like an infrastructure investment, you know, like building a bridge or, uh, you know, a, repairing the sidewalk in your front porch, you know, that's cost and you have to do it because otherwise there's no opportunity for someone to enter your facility. But, um, from my perspective, like I, I, we've talked about this in some other episodes with some other folks, I'd be interested in your perspective on this as well. I, I have this, I, th- I call this, I call I, I identify what I'm talking about by calling it a tech stack. And what in my mind, what I mean is like what would be the things that Patrick says you you must have? So like for me, certainly a e-commerce platform that can allow for the facilitation of transactions. So for me, there's some people within the industry that do that, and there's some people outside of the industry that do that. And there's a choice to be made there whether you want the functionality of there being some tie between an industry-based platform and perhaps the suppliers in the space or venturing outside of it to a third-party provider who maybe some of those bridges aren't built. And then uh, a CRM to me, I think is vital. Like I, I, I don't know how you can't nurture leads if you don't know who your leads are in a way that scales. So I feel like that's vitally important. And again, there's industry players who have tools in that space and there's people outside the space that do the same thing. And you know, whether those all pieces and parts talk to another is another problem. And then lastly, obviously, is the accounting and invoicing and, you know, managing inventory and all of those things. And you certainly need a platform in order to be able to do that. And yes, there's all kinds of other stuff you could have. But to me, if you said, what's the tech stack, I would say that's it. Where where do you come out on that discussion? Right. Yeah. And you hit on most of them. Uh, and, and I would have a few more to add. Um, so I'll just start off talking about a few that 
I think are, are mandatory if you want a successful e-com site. Number one, you need a live chat. Uh-huh. And there are dozens of great live chat softwares that you can integrate. The, the pricing is very, very minimal. I actually use a free one, and it's called Talk To. And it's free, unlimited users, uh, works great. I can... I can basically do whatever I want with it as far as, you know, prompting messages at certain points, you know, based on certain triggers that I set. I can see all of my visitors on the site. I can see exactly where they are. Uh, and what's interesting is when they, when we get phone calls from customers, we can see them and we can know exactly where they've been and we can see what page they're on right then. And it really helps us make that customer service experience so much better because we don't have to ask them, right. you know, what's the SKU number that you're looking at or, you know, we know. That's cool. Yeah. So a live chat software is, is key. Um, you mentioned the CRM, which definitely you have to have because one of my uh, goals is not just to get as many customers as I can, but my job is to turn customers into clients. Mm-hmm. So so the, the difference that is that most people have to nurture a lead for, for quite some time in the manual sense, you know, face-to-face, phone calls and things like that. Well, my leads come in with money because they order online. And now I have this lead and I have this potential to develop this great relationship with this client who's going to keep coming back to me and ordering more and more and more items. So it's just a, to me, it's a great um, scenario because I get the best of both worlds, but I really don't have to do, you know, I put in a a lot of work up front, developing the content and, you know, developing my site as a trustworthy site and, and all of that. But then for years to come after one piece of content will just keep generating leads over and over and over. And that's the whole idea behind the content marketing. Um, but going back to the CRM, I use HubSpot and HubSpot also has the, if you go with the premium package, they have the marketing automation Right. and marketing automation is gold. It, it, it automatically follows up with leads based on certain triggers. Um, so I've got several of those, you know, marketing automation workflows set up, but that's one of my next goals here. I've actually got a developer working on doing some really heavy integration with my site and HubSpot and I'll be able to send order reorder reminders. I'll be able to send follow-ups, you know, six months, three months, nine months, whatever I want to do. I can send certain sequences based on how much they've ordered or, you know, the last time they ordered. It's just, it's almost unlimited what you can do. And that's all automated so it's pretty awesome. But marketing automation with your CRM is, is, is really good. Um, another thing that you need, especially when you get more than one person on your team, is you need a communication tool. Right. right? There you go. Yeah. So my favorite is Slack. Mm-hmm. Slack, you can integrate so many other third-party services into it and have everything on one platform. Crazy good and has a project management uh, sort of built in capability as well. So 
I, to me, like we use Slack. I've used it at the last three places that I've worked um, as an employee. And then I'm actually even using it in places where it has nothing to do with work because it is a great place. It's like you can organize discussions around threads. You can upload files. You can put pictures and video in there. Like it's you name it. And if you want to keep an ongoing threaded conversation around a topic or even amongst a group of people in a way that allows you to go back and be able to see what you've talked about over time and what information people have put into the tool. I'm, I'm with you, man. That thing is killer. Right. I love the search functionality so that you can go back and find those past conversations. That's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, for me, like marketing automation is kind of, if I were listening to our discussion right now, I would have said, okay, I'm with you on the CRM. I'm with you on the company store program, marketing automation. Oh my God. And really what that comes down to, and for most people, what I'd say is that that would be like the next hurdle after you got yourself set up and kind of feeling comfortable with what you were doing and go to market. Because to your point, until you get those people in, you don't really know who they are. But once you start paying attention to who's coming, then you can start thinking about the other ways they might want to do business with you. And you run the risk of it being spammy if you're not doing it well. So the idea is like you really have to pay attention to who those people are and really be um, investigating what would be of value to them before you just go throwing stuff at them. So the idea of an automation tool without some some understanding of who it is that you're doing business with actually could work against you. If you're not doing it well. So um, all of those other pieces and parts are 100% necessary though. If you, don't, if you don't know who the people are who are buying from you, how are you going to be able to send them things like reorder notices and stuff like that? So that's killer. Yeah, that is. And, and you're absolutely right that it, it can come across as spammy if you don't do it right. And so my whole goal has been to make each message look like I sat down at the computer and I typed out that message and sent it directly yes. to that one person. Yes. And that's that's the goal. Handcrafted, so right? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Well, um, I want to I want to get one more in before we let you off to your eggnog and holiday parties and everything else is going on this time of year. So um, I've had some experience in what you have a lot of experience in when it comes to managing, um, you know, managing stores. And, and oftentimes the real rub is like, how do you manage your supplier relationships in a way that helps you support your go-to-market efforts? And that's one thing when it's a traditional distributorship right? So there might be some program business, there might be some dropship business. I, I'm guessing that your supplier relationships might look slightly different. So talk to me about like, how do you come to the conclusion of what your supplier mix should look like? Uh, well, overall, it's probably not a lot different than most traditional distributors. Um, I, I like suppliers that I can count on, that they're going to deliver when they say they are, and the product is going to be a good quality. So, you know, obviously that doesn't change whether you're online or, or a face-to-face -face distributor. Um, pricing, yes, does come into play, but I don't really get into the low price game. Mm -hmm. um, I would probably venture to say that my profit margins are higher than most traditional distributors. Um, most people don't think that's possible with e-commerce. They think it's a race to the bottom. Sure. And, and it can be, but that's that's not the way I play. Right. I'm not going to go head to head with four imprint. That would be a suicide mission. Sure. 
<laughs> you know, my couple million dollars a year to their 400 and something. You know, yeah, it, no doubt. Right. Right. But um, so when I when I go to suppliers, I develop those relationships just like anyone else would. And, you know, when I'm at industry events, I meet them face to face. We talk about what my customers look like and what they need. And we do work out things that work well for online sales. And, um, you know, and so sometimes my suppliers might give me a free, free setups on right. products. So I may turn around and just offer a $50 coupon. Mm-hmm. So I'm not losing money, but it is enticing to, to my shoppers. And so that's about the, you know, the only pricing that I actually come down on, but I, but I have enough margin built in that, you know, I can afford that anyway. Um, so I have favorite suppliers, obviously. And over time we developed those ongoing relationships and those are the products that I push more on any marketing efforts and, you know, how they rank on the site itself. Right. And I guess the thing I wanted to make sure that we covered I know there's a lot of people out there who are just like, you know what? I just don't even know how to organize. Like, how do you handle MOQs and how do you handle setup charges? And and I don't think we need to necessarily peel that piece of the onion back. But what I want to make sure that I, I give you the chance to express to people is we've had enough program business in our industry long enough that the suppliers out there know how to run small MOQ programs. You just have to be willing to express to them what it is that you're doing. And I guess, Patrick, for you, I'm guessing some of the, your ability to be able to negotiate stuff in that space that makes sense for everyone is you have the track record and the data to be able to show people in the categories what your spend is, what products are being bought, what quantities over a year are being bought in those categories, right? I mean, so t- so talk to that piece of it and, and how you approach that part of the relationship when you're talking to suppliers. Well, yeah, sure. Um, you know, of course, track record is very important. And I'm never going to go to a supplier and say, I'm going to sell X number of these unless I know, unless my data can, can back it up. If I know I'm getting tons and tons of traffic to a certain you know, type of product, that's when I analyze that and you know, kind of look at competitors, make sure my pricing is not too far off, make sure it's a product I think will sell. And if so, that's when I go to various suppliers and kind of pitch an idea. And most suppliers, I mean, I'd say 95% of suppliers now understand the importance of e-commerce and they understand that that's a, a big trend within the industry and they want on board. So they're willing to do whatever they need to do within reason, you know, as long as it's a win-win. I'm never going for a win-loss right, sure. situation. You know, it's not a, supplier, not a long-term strategy. <laughs> no, it's not. So suppliers are my partners. And so I'm not going to nickel and dime them, but if they have any anything to offer, like a free setup or something, you know, then that might work out well. So like I say, I'm not going to go and if I don't have any traffic to a certain product, I'm not going to try to work out some special pricing. For sure. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. But it's, you know, I guess the the overlying message there is one, you got to get started because if you don't get started, you don't have a track record. And two, once you get going, track, track and analyze the information about what's happening. And, you know, we, we talk about data all the time. And what I think a lot of times in our space, 
well, hell, not even in our space, just across the board. There's a lot of data being created, but there's not a lot of data being analyzed. And, it, yes. and if you don't spend the time looking at what the story of the data tells you, why are you collecting the data in the first place? <laughs> yeah, good point. No. Good point. Well, Patrick, we are at that moment where most people are going to get bored listening to us anyway. So, <laughs> so I, I, it's been a great conversation and I, I, I just can't see how people won't uh, appreciate you taking the time to share a little bit from what it looks like from your side of the track. So uh, Merry Christmas, man. Happy New Year's. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at that promo kitchen mixer in Vegas. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Till next time. All right. Take care. Bye.